Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Alan Aragon is a nutrition researcher and educator with over 25 years of success in the field. He's known as one of the most influential figures in the fitness industry's movement towards evidence-based information. Alan writes a monthly research review called AARR, <laughs> providing cutting-edge theoretical and practical information. Alan's work has been published in popular magazines as well as peer-reviewed scientific literature. In fact, he co-authored Nutrient Timing Revisited, the most viewed article in the history of the Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition, and he's the lead author of the ISSN Position Stand on Diets and Body Composition. Alan maintains a private practice designing programs for recreational and professional athletes and, of course, regular people striving to be their best. Listen in on how this sports nutrition dynamo chooses himself. Alan Aragon, thank you so much for joining me today. Juliana, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. So Alan and I went to graduate school at the same school, but I don't think at the same time, or at least our paths didn't cross until after we graduated, and our collectively beloved teacher, Dr. Terry Lissagor, which I'll have to send her this, she introduced us since we were both so passionate about sports nutrition and fitness. And then we were reconnected recently, like a couple years ago, because we were both guests of Joey Thurman, who's a friend of the pod here, his podcast, we were both on there. But you, Alan, have been up to so much. You've been busy educating and inspiring the public on all this wonderful evidence-based nutrition. And, you know, we may not be exactly on the same page about all the details, but I have so much respect for you. And we definitely both adamantly lean on the evidence and taking it all in and simplifying it so that the public can understand it. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. Oh, man. Likewise. Likewise. And yes, it has been just, I guess, uh, what, like a 20-year journey or something like that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> or more. Yeah, as far as how how long we know each other, it's really incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Just, it's great to great to talk to you again. Yeah, and so and congratulations. So you just published hot off the press this brand new amazing tome called Flexible <laughs> Dieting: A Science Based Reality Tested Method for Achieving and Maintaining Your Optimal Physique, Performance, and Health. Congratulations! Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us, Alan, what is flexible dieting? Flexible dieting is, it's actually a type of cognitive, uh, it, it's technically, it's a cognitive style of dietary restraint or dietary control. So there's rigid dietary control and flexible dietary control. And flexible dietary control is the principle where diet is approached from not a black and white perspective or all or nothing perspective or good foods, evil foods perspective, but rather um, the angle of individualizing the approach because everybody has their unique preferences, tolerances, and goals. And so flexible dieting isn't about everybody needs to go keto or everybody needs to intermittent fast or everybody needs to do paleo or this, that, the other thing. It's uh, you just individualize and everybody is indeed uniquely different in terms of their preferences and tolerance and goals. So that is flexible dieting in a nutshell. And what flexible dieting isn't 
is the assumption that flexible dieting means just counting macros and plugging them into an app and <laughs> trying to do that as long as you possibly can stand. So that's, that's what flexible dieting is not. <laughs> I love that. I love this approach. It's so friendly and it's welcoming to anyone. Like everyone can eat healthier and optimize their life in terms of their diet. And tell me about your journey. Like tell me, I would love to know the Alan behind your, your public persona. Like what brought this passion for you? Um, well, that's always a complicated question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Before, before I, I get into that, I just wanted to mention that counting macros is one of the approaches under the umbrella of flexible dieting, which isn't any specific approach, if that makes sense. No, go expound on that. That's important. What do you, what, what is it for you then? Right. So flexible dieting is mistakenly uh, referred to or thought of as counting macros and hitting those macronutrient targets, regardless of what your food sources are. So the whole, if it fits your macros thing that started, well, me and a couple of buddies were responsible for starting it in the fitness space, um, in about 2009 or 2010, that IIFYM acronym combined with, uh, people's assumption that flexible dieting is counting macros. That that's not flexible dieting. Those are just options under the larger umbrella of being flexible about the, the way that you approach diet, whether you whether you track portions, whether you count calories, or whether you don't do any of those things at all and you take more of a, a very loose and qualitative type of approach to, to diet. So um, all of those are under the umbrella of flexible dieting because flexible dieting is the flexibility of the approach. So yeah, that's the big thing that I, I wanted to get across. And I, I spent the, the initial chapter going down the history of flexible dieting in the peer-reviewed literature, which really start, started in about 1975, and then the actual term flexible dieting showed up in the literature in the mid to late 90s, and then it just kind of continues down from there. And flexible dieting, as it's described in the peer-reviewed literature, really has had very little to do with counting macros. <laughs> so that's the thing that people find pretty surprising because everybody just calls counting macros flexible dieting. So yeah. Hopefully that's a little more clear. It's so funny, Alan. I missed all of that. Like I don't, I've not even seen, I've seen flexitarian. I don't think I've come across the term flexible dieting until your book. And I'm and I'm curious about the evolution of the county macros that you started. I didn't realize that. Tell me about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the, what happened was on the bodybuilding.com forums back in the mid 2000s, early 2010s, there would be a lot of questions about, well, this is when I, I got on the forum. So I'm sure these questions existed before that, but a lot of the, the message board members and the message boards for those listening were around before social media as we know it. So the message boards were, were just basically community online communities where you post questions and, and you have conversations in, in text. And um, it, it was just a different 
a different world before before Facebook and Instagram. Right. <laughs> yes. There was so, a world before that. <laughs> right, right. And 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 we know the world before even the internet. Now now don't we, Juliana? Yes, so. we do. Let's not date ourselves too much. <laughs> we even know phone booths. Okay. So yes. <laughs> and, and phones with curly cords. Oh boy. Oh okay. boy. Um <laughs> so, my son actually recently asked me how that works. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah. So like just just show him like a picture of one in like some ancient uh, textbook or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the the if it fits your macros thing came to be when people would ask questions like, "Okay, I, I'm I'm on a cut," or in other words, I'm 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 going to be dieting and losing body weight, body fat is it okay if I have peanut butter in my diet? And we would just answer it like, well, as long as that peanut butter fits into your dietary fat allotment, as long as it fits your macronutrient targets, then sure, you can have peanut butter. And so there were just innumerable questions in this vein where people would ask, hey, uh, can I have bananas on my cut? Is that going to ruin my cut? And we're like, well, if those bananas fit your macronutrient targets, then yeah, you can have those bananas. That's fine. And then people just ask those questions on down the line with any kind of food you can think of. And um, we just decided to turn the, if it fits your macronutrient targets, go ahead and have that food. We we had to say that so many times a day as moderators of the forum that we just turned it into an acronym and provided a link. It's like IIFYM means if it fits your macros, yes, you can have raisins in your diet. Uh, yes, you can have X, Y, and Z foods. And this was all under the presumption that the diet overall would be a healthy diet. So yeah, you can have you can have freedom of food selection, but within a healthy dietary framework. So we were not promoting just eating uh, ice cream and some other, you know, and, and spam uh, to cover your macronutrient targets, you know. So that was the whole thing behind if it fits your macros and that's how it kind of caught fire and then everybody twisted it into this sort of dietary brand when it really was just a, a cheeky acronym that we moderators used to use when we were telling people that yes you can have oranges if you want or yes yes you, you don't have to just have um this low fat version of this food you can have the full fat version as long as you account for the fat content of the foods within your macronutrient targets for the day so that is what the IIFYM thing was and, and counting macros was. And that's how it kind of spread through the health and fitness space. Ah, and we didn't predict like phones going to become these tiny little things that we put in our palm. We also didn't predict what would happen commercially, right? Because now there's foods that are, you know, so not healthy, so super hyper processed that are, but they are the, it's all about the macros and that's how they label it and market it. And now it's like anything could fit anywhere. And it's evolved so much from these conversations. That's correct. That's good. The whole diet quality aspect just sort of went missing <laughs> from, yeah. from the macros conversation. And yeah, we never intended for that, but it's sort of like the telephone game, you know, like you tell somebody, you whisper something to one person and by the time it gets to the 10th person, it's totally twisted around and, and, and blown out of proportion into something totally different. And that's what happened with the, if it fits your macros thing. Oh, I, I forgot about that telephone game. And that's such a perfect way to say that. That's yeah. what happens in nutrition period, right? As it peers go, it goes from a, 
a research article comes out and then it just goes through the telephone game and becomes completely different, bastardized in every different direction by the time it gets to the public. And everyone's so confused. And that's what I love about your work is that you're trying to make this very accessible to people. And I have so many questions. I could talk to you all day, seriously. I, I feel like because we're talking <laughs> about macros and I want to go back to, I, well, let's go back. So tell me just really quickly, like what's, what fueled your passion for this fascinating field that we love so much? Okay. Well, we, we can go back to to Cal State Northridge. <laughs> um, like I, I got my, my bachelor's degree in nutrition, food science, dietetics. And uh, then my, my colleagues all went off and did their dietetic internships and I was intending to be a personal trainer. So I just did the, um, the graduate degree, the master's degree in human nutrition, um, instead and continued with personal training, but I did nutritional counseling as well. Cause we're in California and any Tom, Dick and Harry can, can do nutritional counseling. In California. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did that as well. And, um, as, I was finishing up my graduate degree and, and doing the counseling after my, my training career. Uh, I, I had done personal training 10 years before um, I, I got my master's in nutrition. Uh, I found out that I really liked the, the teaching and the counseling and, and, and the educational side of nutrition. So I found out that I was really good at, um, well, writing and, flapping my jaws versus, you know, training, uh, which, which I was pretty good at, but I, I was, I guess I was more of a natural at sitting on my butt and, um, telling people what to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so much more fun. No, <laughs> I miss, don't you miss the personal training part though? I miss actual personal training, like being out there and exercising all day and that at all? oh my goodness. You know what? Um, I, I guess I could look back on it with 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 fond, with a degree of fondness. Uh, personal training was pretty exhausting. It was pretty it's pretty exhausting because you you deal with the psychological aspects of what people are grappling with as well as the physical and um, it was a very uh, hectic and, and and physical job. It takes a really a pretty special person to do personal training for for like decades and decades. You know. Yeah. And. But yeah, I did enjoy the energy of it, and I still ch channel that energy uh, into the gym since I'm in in the gym most days a week. And so, so yeah, after after the nutritional counseling, after the personal training side and the nutritional counseling decade, there there was in in my career. There's a personal training decade. There's a nutritional counseling decade, and then the third decade, which is the current decade, everything started in like 1992. So three decades down the line, here I am. But the but the most recent decade uh, was mainly research and education, uh, and I got sort of uh, serendipitously pulled into that side of the industry from a gentleman named Brad Schoenfeld, who does a lot of the exercise science research. And so he's he invited me onto a, a research project in 2013, and and then I got invited by um, a bunch of other research researchers onto other projects. Um, like Stu Phillips and um, Guillermo Escalante and and other guys in the in the sort of the the sports nutrition space, uh, Joey Antonio, and I ended up doing a bunch of fortunately um, highly influential research work, like the 
um, one, one of my proudest publications is is authoring or well, being the lead author of the International Society of Sports Nutrition position stand on diets and body composition, which that was a 2017 publication. And I've done a few more since then, and I'm still doing those, those research publications, still waiting for um, the latest paper to make it past peer review. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a glorious little grind there, Juliana. Yeah. Actually, that, Alan, was my next question, was about the fact that you were the lead author on that paper on diets and body composition for International Society of Sports Nutrition. And I love it because one of the, one of the conclusions that you have in there is, I'm going to quote you guys, your, your paper, the cake is total daily macronutrition and micronutrition. The icing is the specific timing and distribution of nutrient intake throughout the day. And the sprinkles are supplements that might help trainees clinch the competitive edge. Can you sum up what people need to know about all that? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, the cake analogy is is in- interesting and really funny because I thought about it and I had my doubts about whether they were going to allow the cake analogy into the paper. Because with, with these scientific papers, you usually try to stay away from um, colorful and fun and, and <laughs> right. Exactly. Fun. You try to stay away from fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Fun-free zone. <laughs> Science. Right. Science. Serious. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do this cake analogy and see if the reviewers can stomach it literally and figuratively. Right. So, Aww. and they liked it. They liked the cake analogy. So if you get the cake right, then the um, the icing is just the icing, but you got to get the cake right. That's the most important part, which is the the totality of, of nutrition in the diet. And then the icing would be the timing of the constituent parts. And uh, the sprinkles would be the, the, the supplements. And we didn't actually talk about drugs and stuff, but drugs would definitely be a little bit more than just sprinkles in terms of impact on a, on a program. But, um, but yeah, that, that's how, how that came about. And the emphasis on getting the cake right would be, and the, and the cake is your, basically your diet, your diet quality, food selection and macronutrition and micronutrition in totality. So timing of nutrients through the course of the day, um, and also uh, relative to the placement of the training bout or the competition, those types of things vary with different populations, but everybody's got to get the cake right. And then supplementation, the sprinkles in, in, so to speak, that also varies with the individual. And some people need more supplementation. Some people need less. Uh, not everybody has to be on eight different supplements and, um, yeah, it just it just really varies with the individual. Okay, Alan, I debated. I've been like excited to talk to you for a long time, but I was debating back and forth in my head because I don't know if you know any of, of my work. I I talk about this concept called macro confusion, and I believe that macros are, is like like using protein, carbs, and fat is what is the bane of existence for nutrition and for people understanding. And, you know, I, I just talk about like the 2018 Lancet paper that concludes that a low carb diet and a high carb diet increased mortality as kind of like the perfect example. But um, since I knew I was going to talk to you, 
I was like, should we talk about protein? Should we not talk about protein? But then I realized like you actually wrote a book on protein because I always call it the P word and I don't have my client's calendar calculator or anything, but I do think it begs that we, I would love to talk to you about it. And um, sure. so here we are. So <laughs> tell me about <laughs> why you wrote a book about protein and, and your thoughts, because let's just get the other perspective out there. Sure, sure. Uh, a lot of my audience are the fitness and bodybuilding population. And so with that particular goal, uh, protein is, is a crucial component of reaching bodybuilding goals and um, gaining muscle mass. So, so maximizing muscular gains and optimizing adaptations to progressive resistance training. Um, there certainly are a lot of components, uh, but protein intake, protein, and of course, everything else, uh, protein, calories, the rest of the, the rest of the the necessary and essential stuff, um, is very important for this. So, so yeah, so it, the covering protein is largely uh, a largely a, a default of of my audience and the things that that we're interested in. We just want to get jacked, bro. You know. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the short answer there of, of how, you know <laughs> why we're so interested in protein. But and so and what are your recommendations? What do you I mean I know you're very evidence-based and we it's all mm. it's all so similar, right? Like it's just how you break it down, but like how do you advise people on considering their protein intake? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> I I want to refer you to a meta-analysis that I was one of the collaborators on. This was a 2017 uh, 2017, 2018 meta-analysis by Morton, uh, by Rob Morton and Stu Phillips and myself and a bunch of other dudes. And we looked at all of the, all of the protein, all of the relevant uh, protein research. So a few dozen studies on protein intake and gains in lean body mass and strength. And we found that the maximizing of muscle gains and strength occurred at a protein intake of roughly 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. And there's a little bit more gains that can be had uh, beyond that amount. But the thing is, we excluded hypocaloric conditions from that study. We only included studies where it was at like a maintenance caloric balance or slightly uh, in surplus, so slightly hyper caloric balance. And so uh, theoretically, you would need even more protein than this if you're dieting and you're a lean resistance trained athlete. So, but anyways, with, within the confines of our meta-analysis, we found that the sweet spot for muscle gains is right around 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. And uh, in imperial terms, that translates to 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. That would be the protein intake that would optimize muscular gains. And the range that we looked at, so we, we looked, th th there was this plateau, apparent plateau at 1.6, but there are also some cases and some subjects who gained, um, who maximized their rate of muscle gains with protein intakes as high as 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight or a whole gram per pound. So in our paper, we listed 
ultimately we listed the range as 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight or in uh, you know Western terms 0.7 to 1.0 grams per pound as the range that optimizes muscular uh, size and strength gains in resistance trainees who are not in dieting or hypocaloric conditions. Okay. Interesting. That's a little higher than like ACSM has been saying, right? It, um, it's kind of right in that neighborhood. So it, if you look at the American Dietetic Association, which we now know as the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. See, we remember it from the original of that too. That's how old we are. <laughs> That's how old we are. Right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we, we know ancient wisdoms. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh yes the AND they used to um their their guidelines used to be 1.2 to 1.7 grams per kilogram uh in the athletic population. And just a few years back I want to I want to say like 5ish years back they upped it and they had that as a long standing long standing recommendation for over a decade. And then just a, a few years back they increased their higher end to 2.0 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is, you know, pretty darn close and very similar to what my colleagues and I found with the upper end being 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. So, okay, let's go back to timing. I, I remember going to an idea world conference many years ago and I was, this is while I was in Dr. Lisa Gore's sports nutrition class. Mm -hmm. And at the conference, I'm walking around the, what's it called? The expo center, you know, have you been to those conferences or like my favorite idea? You know what? I, 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 I have not been to idea, but I know it's a monster and I know it's, it's like a one big, uh, it's like the us festival or something like that. So. Yeah, that's super fun. So I was walking around and I, there's this booth of this, these guys that wrote this book called nutrient timing. I was like, Whoa, you know, the Ivy important book in 2004. I don't, yeah, I think it must've been, yeah, it must've been then. And I was like so excited. And I brought it back to Dr. Lissagor. I'm like, look at this book. It's all about timing. And I got really, really excited about it. And she looked at me. She's like, do they sell supplements? Do they sell anything? And I looked at the back of the book and they were selling these like powders that were like before and after kind of thing. So it kind of blew my mind about like thinking about books and research and all that. Mm -hmm. But then I saw you wrote, is it a paper about uh, nutrient timing? Yeah, we've, we've written... Um about three papers dealing with nutrient timing now. And you mentioned Ivy and Portman's book. Um, uh, the, the research that my colleagues and I have done on nutrient timing is largely challenging Ivy and Portman's uh, claims or principles or presumptions that they, they put forth in, in the early 2000s. So, so the whole concept of what they were really big on was the post-exercise anabolic window, the so-called post-exercise anabolic window of opportunity, where yes. uh, within 30 to 60 minutes after you're done training, you have to slam a, a bunch of uh, carbs and protein and or carbs and protein or amino acids in order to kickstart recovery and, and you know, optimize the growth process. So we, we, we challenged that, that principle and, and we wrote a paper in 2013 called Nutrient Timing Revisited. And that was the first paper in the peer-reviewed literature to question this whole concept of the post-exercise anabolic window. 
And it, it's it's kind of a long story here, but what happened was when Ivy and Portman put their book out, their hypotheses were very interesting. But the problem was they were based on short-term studies, like we're talking studies that lasted a few hours, just looking at the, the acute response of nutrient feeding after after exercise bouts that that were really designed for endurance athletes. And so if I could walk us back a, a little bit, back to the late 80s, um, Ivy and his colleagues found out that post-exercise, if you delay carbohydrate intake, then you also naturally delay the rate of glycogen resynthesis. So glycogen, for the listeners who may not know, uh, glycogen is the body's stored form of carbohydrate. And endurance athletes depend on restocked and, and full glycogen stores to perform optimally for their endurance events. So there was this leap of faith made that because when we delay carbohydrate intake post-exercise, when we delay that, then we also slow down the rate of glycogen restocking. Um, Ivy and Portman also compared the delaying of amino acids and protein post-exercise with um, with immediate administration of those nutrients. And they, they measured stuff like muscle protein synthesis, um, as well as as well as glycogen restocking, but but here's the leap of, leap of faith that was made. Ivy and Portman said that you need um, quickly absorbed carbohydrates, like highly glycemic, highly insulinemic carbohydrate sources, as well as um, quickly absorbed protein within 30 to 60 minutes post-exercise. Otherwise, you're compromising your rates of muscle gain. So while their principles are true for glycogen resynthesis in endurance athletes who can benefit from expediting this process because let's say for example they have more than one endurance event in a single day they ivy and portman were making the leap that people who want to gain muscle need to do the same thing but but also add protein post exercise and once again this claim was based on short-term research that just looked at the few hours post-exercise. So over the next decade, a bunch of studies were published showing that timing, nutrient timing in the in the so-called post-exercise anabolic window, didn't seem to matter as long as the subjects consumed sufficient total daily nutrition. So particularly sufficient total daily protein, because a lot of these studies were comparing protein timing. So my colleagues and I did a meta-analysis, which is a study of the studies, in quotes. It's a study of, uh, of, of all the relevant data um, in the particular area, and, and this one being protein timing. And we found that as long as total daily protein was at a certain level, then the timing of protein relative to the training bout, timing-wise, didn't matter. So that level of protein that we found coincidentally happened to be about one6 1.7 grams per kilogram of body weight total for the day. And then you can shuffle your protein <laughs> at any point around the exercise exercise bout that you want, basically. I mean, there's more details to this, but the big picture take home is that for maximizing gains in muscle growth, nutrient timing, is particularly protein timing, is kind of a non-issue as long as you get your total by the end of the day. That's a great summary. And I appreciate that. And 
it's like us trying to micromanage our bodies and our bodies are just way more brilliant than we give it credit for. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I literally have a million questions for you. So I'm going to try to think of, <laughs> I'm going to try to sum them up. <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're going to have to go to, uh, um, gosh, where was it? Panera bread or something like that? Where, yes! you, where, you, gave me, where you gave me the book? You, you gave me the China study. I remember that. Yeah, you didn't, I think you only got coffee or something. I don't know. Oh my God, that was so many years ago. That's right. Yeah. yeah, we have to go back. But no, I want to do this here publicly so everyone could hear all of your wisdom. It's so nice to, like, it's just nice to hear all of this. And I'm just really excited that you're putting all this great, wonderful information out there. I really recommend your book and um, everyone should check it out, Flexible Dieting. It's available everywhere, yes? Yes, it is. It is. And I've gotten a really great reception to it and... uh and I, I know that you've, you've said some really kind words about the book. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. I am. I've read pretty much all of it and I really think it's great. And uh, thank you for putting it out there. Thank you for taking the time. And we have to go um, do this again. <laughs> Let's definitely do it. There's so much to talk about. I know. All right. Keep up the good work, Alan. I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much, Juliana. And thank you everybody for tuning in. There's so much common ground out there when it comes to nutrition, and it's important to go back to that. And I really love the way Alan sums all that up. So hopefully that was informational. And of course, there is so much more to that conversation that hopefully will be coming soon. And if you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, consider becoming a member of our Patreon page. Visit patreon.com slash choose you now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content, including what Alan Aragon eats in a day. It's delicious. I'm telling you, please also subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes and send us an email with questions and comments at choose you now podcast at gmail.com for nutrition services and more information. Visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.